0: Because last time we didn't have enough time on the thing, yeah. so we'll start there. and Then we'll get into our chapter seven, which I find is a actually more interesting chapter than I originally thought. But it is pretty interesting. But let's open in uh, in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for this time and thank you for your word. Give us what we need from it today, this evening, and uh, help us to appropriate its truth. Turn it into wisdom and discernment for us in these days in which we live. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so in chapter 6, the last few verses of chapter 6, we've got, which is really 12 through 14. Let's just take a minute to look at those. Uh, And I looked. When he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. So that's imagery um, where it said, uh, you know, it becomes like blood. He's not saying that the moon is blood or turns to blood. It just looks as if it's blood red. And the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll. When it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So 12 to 14, all of a sudden John, as we know, is in the throne room, right, of heaven. And so he's seeing all of this activity taking place. And then his his mind, his vision, his gaze is directed back toward the earth when he starts seeing all these things happen. And the first thing that got his attention after the sixth seal was open was this huge earthquake that happens on the earth. And because of that, things were upset in the heavens. Stars of heaven fell to earth. That could just be visionary language he's using, or it could be um, asteroids, shooting stars, all kinds. Of, I mean, we don't really know.
1: We don't. We do so,
0: you know... And it's probably not germane for us to really absolutely know. We just get the impression overall here that there is a massive shake-up on this earth. Massive shake-up. Um, and, and I like his descriptive language. as And the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Well, we've all lived through mighty winds. First year we moved here uh, to Concord, we were visited by the tail end of Burma, you know. So I had just finished putting part of the roof on the back deck and uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there in the living room and hearing all this wind and then hearing crack, crack, crack and I go out and the, the roof is trying to fly away. And so we know what that means. We know when a, when a tree is shaken big time by winds that things fall off of it. So the lamb opens the sixth seal there is no living creature voice here, as there were to introduce the other things. A massive earthquake. And this is kind of reminiscent of Luke 21 11. You can look that up on your own if you care to. Um, but, it, you know, this also, by the way, is part of the Olivet Discourse. It happens in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So Jesus is pointing out some of the things that are going to be happening. And, you know, it's funny, because this week I sat there, probably like you did, And you're looking at, I don't watch the news, but I go online to get news where I feel like it's probably the best way to be informed uh, with places that I trust. And even there, you kind of take things with a grain of salt. However, you sit there and you look at the way the world is going right now. Not to wax political, but we've got, (laughs) starting today, for the next week, the WHO Uh, Is going to be debating on whether or not they're going to (laughs) uh, accept the sovereignty handed to them by these countries, various countries. Uh, They're going to debate that. Opposed by our country. Right. So they're going to debate it. They're going to discuss it. We already know what they're going to do. I mean, come on. So my take is anyone in our Congress who agrees to this treaty. And then anyone in the Biden administration who signs off on it is a treason, treasonous. They're traitors because they cannot, I know that the Senate has the right and the power to determine whether or not they will enter into a treaty. I get that. That's the Senate's, part of the Senate's job. However, they have no right to enter into a treaty which chips away or otherwise tends to destroy the sovereignty of the United States. They have no right to do so that's, that's traitorous. And I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, if our founding fathers were alive right now, we know what they'd be doing. We know what they'd be doing. They'd be grabbing ropes and they'd be hanging some people. But, and I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that we've come so far away from the ideal that they created um, and how to protect the constitutional republic. And every time I hear a Democrat say, well, we need to protect our democracy, <laughs> it just grates on me because it's like we are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And they're two completely different things. But you know, I know they get that, but I also believe that they do it intentionally yeah, to downplay the fact that we're a constitutional republic. But what I, my point is this, without preaching about politics, my point is the way the world is going right now, we are... Very, very quickly, not just the USA, very, very quickly, all these countries are handing sovereignty over to the United Nations. Yeah. Uh, now, Brazil, was it, said, we're not going to do it?
1: Hungary, we're, also. Hungary,
0: yeah. just read about him, and I thought to Sylvia, I said, well, look, uh, your family on your mom's side <laughs> spoke yeah. Hungarian. Let's go there, <laughs> you know but it's a pipe dream because anything can happen but it's nice to see that some people are resisting it Mm -hmm. you know but we'll see what happens but anyway this massive earthquake occurs throughout the earth this is God making things happen Uh, the darkening of the sun and I've got a whole bunch of references and the notes will be up tomorrow but I've got a whole bunch of references you can look up when you get time about the darkening of the sun and how God uses that as a sign of his judgment and displeasure It's no different than when I was... I shouldn't say it's no different. It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid and uh, I did something that provoked my father's displeasure. Um, If his face was the sun, it was dark. (laughs) So, you know, right away, all he had to do was give me that look. This is God's way of dealing through nature, through his creation, to send a message. And, of course, as we go through Revelation, we find out that people are very adept at ignoring it until it gets to the point where they can't ignore it. But then they still want to ignore it, as we'll see in the next two chapters. So the reddening of the moon, there's some references there. Um, We noted that in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, the very very first sermon after the um, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, and he was empowered to get up there and speak to his brothers and sisters, the Jews, and explain to them, don't harden your hearts, as it was in the days of old, because this is what, what's happening. This is what you need to know. Um, so the falling of the stars, like I said, it could be anything, meteor-like shower. It could be just something John saw that God wanted John to see so he could express it and write about it. They appear to be consequences of this 6 seal's judgment, and uh, we have no doubt that they are. And it's probably best, in my opinion, to take these things literally. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's okay, too. Um, I tend to try to be consistent here and take things literally. So I have no problem, no problem at all, looking at this and going, yeah, a major earthquake happened. Mm -hmm. I have no problem that the sun becomes as black as, what is that called?
2: Eclipse.
0: Yeah, an eclipse. There are many. There are numerous different types of eclipses: lunar eclipse, solar eclipse. So we know what those things yeah, are. Lunar eclipse of the blood moon right. exactly so awesome. night. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so then, also, that, when you have an earthquake, you have a lot of volcanic activity. Exactly. exactly.
2: Which puts a lot of ash in the air, yeah. which can exactly. easily block out.
0: So, yep, yep and just it fires and you just know fire. because that's
2: of fire. gas leaks things that's burn fire. and that. you know let's put it
0: this way no matter how we want to look at this it's not going to be pretty no, it's, going it's, to be... it's going to be pretty ugly but that's the way God intends it to be because he wants to get a message he wants to give people the opportunity to repent to come to him I was appreciating what Mark was preaching on this morning it's it's exactly in line with what he was talking about Jesus did and said as much in his Olivet Discourse. And he gave no indication, by the way, that his words were to be taken symbolically. And again, I was going to compliment Mark, and I I have a big pet peeve, and he mentioned it this morning. I hate it when people try to um, decide when God's coming back, or when the... I I hate that. I absolutely hate it. It's It's a... Maybe I hate it too much, but it's a real pet peeve of mine. It's like, because there's nothing in scripture that tells us when exactly on the calendar day and time when these things are going to occur. It just isn't. And and I remember trying to really contain myself when Harold Camping predicted the exact day and time when the rapture was going to be happening. And I remember saying to Sylvia something along the lines of, okay. Is it just me? Or do these people not see in scripture exactly what Mark said this morning? You won't know the day or the hour. Mm-hmm. Jesus, as a human being, the man doesn't know the day or the hour. All of that's, and it's so perfect. I loved what he did this morning about the Jewish wedding ceremony because that's what Jesus was actually referring to. Yeah. Um, when, when the bridegroom goes off and either adds on to his father's house a room for his bride or builds something separately, it's the father who says to the bridegroom, okay, son, you got everything in line. I think we're good. Everything's checked off. Go get your bride. Now is the time. But until his father says that to the bridegroom, bridegroom has no clue. No clue at all.
2: And and something he said today, that seven-day feast, so imagine now the father also is responsible for that. So. It could take a while for him to save that money <laughs> to put on a seven-day feast. To prepare a
1: place for you, yeah, which, which is, is also, also
0: uses that prepare. Yeah, which is also yeah. uh, akin to this whole wedding idea. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. And 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 I remember, it's exactly like that, Sam. And then when Jesus comes back to do to what to get his bride. He takes us back with Him. And and whether that's pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, whatever. But that's the goal. Because that's what that's exactly what Mark was saying this morning. When the bridegroom goes to get the bride, she comes out to meet Him. How does she know He's coming? Because He makes all kinds of noise with Him and His groomsmen on the way. And she hears that. And then she comes out with her what? Her maidens. Yeah. And they meet Him. The bridegroom then picks her up, and like Mark said this morning, there's all kinds of noise, and they go back to where they're going to be ultimately living. It's just fascinating to me. So, um, again, Jesus, his words in the Olivet Discourse were not symbolic, and and they were to be taken literally, as much as we can understand them, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as we can understand them. The sky will split open, verse 14. That's going to be very interesting. But look what happens. So the sky recedes as a scroll. Can you imagine looking up at the sky yeah. and seeing it split open like a scroll? That would be pretty weird. And
2: you'd I mean, see that in heaven. Yeah,
0: I would think. And, and I think that that's why. Because what happens next, the sky recedes. Every mountain and island was moved out of place. This is also due to the earthquake and the this and that and the other thing. Verse 15, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, what they do? They hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. These people are, are just thick. It, it, it proves something beyond absolute doubt, if God does not work in a person's heart, you can present them truth day after day after day, which is what, of course, we should be doing anyway, right? But, until God works in their heart, they may understand that as truth, but their hearts are not malleable enough for them to go, what do I do with this truth? Oh, I know. I need to throw myself at His Feet and beg for mercy and repent this is proof that these people know what's going on and i personally look at this and go well the sky just rolled back what did they glimpse yeah and then it says here um, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb they know they know and yet there's no repentance so that gets us into into uh, chapter seven. It's just absolutely amazing what happens here. We're almost there. So those dwelling on the earth try to hide themselves, and I think it's fascinating. That's exactly what human nature does right now. Um, you know it and I know it. As a kid, I remember hiding from my father when I did something wrong because I knew what was coming. I mean it's simple. That's what we do.
2: Yeah.
0: And yet, what was amazing about it, and I never got in trouble that often, but what I remember about it is that what was happening in my head, my, my, my thinking that his reaction was going to be was far worse in my head than what his reaction was in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and because there was grace there, mm-hmm. uh, even with my father. So these people don't get it either. They just don't get it. I mean, imagine God splitting the sky back so that they could maybe get a glimpse if that's what's happened. They're glimpsing what's happened. And instead of repenting, repenting, they just go, oh, kill us. Kill us because we need to hide from him. Not realizing that if they die, they're going to be ushered into his presence immediately anyway. So they just don't grasp this. So Adam and Eve did the same thing. We do the same thing we're just that way all people regardless of rank and station in life they're an abject fear they see what's happening they know what it's all about and they can't sit there and go they're like they're like the servant who took the talent and buried it in the ground instead of at least putting it in the bank. Why? Because that servant had a complete misunderstanding of who the master was. Oh, you're so hard and cruel, and, and you gather where you don't sow, and you do all this. All these accusations were coming from the servant, and the master's like, Oh, really? Really? So okay, so that's who you think I am. So you you weren't even smart enough to take the talent that I gave you and put it in the bank. And he wasn't, because the lies that he believed overruled critical thinking and logic. And that's the way many people are today, if not most people are today. Mm -hmm. So, they wanted to die. Death wouldn't protect them. The great day of God's wrath has finally come, verse 17. They know it. And they don't turn to God and pretend They turn away from him in terror. I have often tried to think, I don't know if you've read any books on hell, biblical books I'm talking about, um, but it's interesting because hell is, is likely a place where you don't escape from God's presence. You see God in all his wrath and you experience that wrath forever. And and I've talked to people, and maybe you have too, who said, well, see, that proves that God's not love. Because if God were really love, how could he send anyone to hell? And why doesn't he forgive? And the obvious and easy answer to that is it has to do with a person's ability or willingness to see who God is. And what I always tell people is, do you actually think that an unsaved person, after they die, stops sinning? Do you actually think that once you get into eternity, nobody sins anymore? They will spend eternity, eternity in anger, in angst, in abject, absolute hatred and fear of God. And if you don't think they're going to be spending the rest of their eternal state sinning, then you really need to rethink that. Because they are they will not just automatically stop sinning because now they see God and they know what the truth is. They will hate Him even more because, and blame Him even more because they weren't saved in this life. That's the way people are. And the only reason we're different, or at least have the potential to be different, is because Christ lives in us and the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. And He who began a good work in you will finish it. Period. I sit here sometimes and I go, well, I wish he'd hurry up and finish. <laughs> because sometimes I get tired of myself. I really do. So they turn away from him in terror. By the end of the sixth seal, they will have been experiencing God's wrath already. This is the world with the sixth seal. God's wrath is poured out. But it doesn't get any better. So the day of the Lord, I think I, I ended with this last time or close to it. The day of the Lord, in my opinion includes the Daniel's 70th week, which is seven years. So it includes that whole time. And that whole time, in my view, is all judgment by God. I know some people say, well, the first part is, you know, Satan's wrath or man's wrath against God. Um, I look at all of it, as I've said before, as uh, God's judgment. And then, of course, the day of the Lord includes Christ's return to the earth and His thousand-year reign on earth. Some people don't include the millennial kingdom. I do because to me that's all. That's all the day of the Lord. It's His day. He starts the tribulation. He allows each uh, judgment of the twenty-one to progress. He ends it when He returns. He judges the sheep and the goats, the nations sets up his kingdom, reigns for a thousand years. All of that is the day of the Lord. The very first part of it is the terrible day of the Lord. When, when we get to the millennial kingdom, there is a little bit obviously of a different flow of things, but God's, Christ's judgment is this quick. This quick. When he sees infractions, he deals with them. It. it doesn't mean everybody gets cancelled. Um, it just means that things are not allowed to just go their way. We live in a society today where you sit there and you go, okay, is anybody going to face judgment for the fraud they perpetrated in the 2020 election? Is anybody, we're finding out now that the Democrat Party under Hillary perpetrated fraud. Yeah. How do we know this? Well, because the truth is coming out with the Durham investigation. And FBI agents are on the stand, so to speak, under oath, telling us that Hillary knew, she orchestrated, she paid. So we sit there and we go, well, is anybody going to face judgment for this? Right. Is, is anything going to happen? And honestly, I'm a little bit tired of you. people are going well. And i said it too, and so have you. Well, they can't escape judgment in the next life. And they create a disinformation governance board and put a person in charge of it which, which is say exactly the opposite. Yes. Every... Yeah,
2: there you go. So that's what it's we're crazy. Gonna... Well,
0: she's, she's history already. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure it's so outrageous. Keep it is, oh, let's not go ahead with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, so, yeah. this is the day of the Lord. And we know that justice during his thousand-year millennial reign will be quick. Be it will nice. be probably painful for some. But don't forget, there are people born into this kingdom who come from the tribulation. Or, you know, the, the people who survived the tribulation and are found, quote-unquote, worthy to enter the, the thousand-year millennium, well, they get married. They're, they didn't die, so they're still human. They get married, and they have children, Well those children still need to receive the Lord during the millennial kingdom. And it's fascinating what happens at the very end of the Millennial Kingdom, which we'll read about eventually, where so many people revolt against God. And don't forget, Satan is sequestered in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, so he can't directly influence anyone, but there's still things that can influence people. And then when he's let out, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, he's let out at the end of the thousand years, and he's able to amass quite a follow enough to try to overthrow Christ. Human nature. Human nature. That's what it is. It's it's fallen human nature. So it will be worldwide and extremely severe, the tribulation. And I just read today that... um, Okay, that's that one. I just read today, by the way, that uh, DSA, what is it? Digital Safety Act that's coming to the, the EU. The Digital Safety Act... Come on, you can do it. Which the EU is uh, in support of and want it to happen. Well, that is actually going to be a control over the Internet. So, um, they're going to ensure that there's nothing harmful (laughs) or illegal stated or done on the Internet. And of course, who's going to decide this? (laughs) The European Union bureaucrats. They're going to be in charge of this. So you sit there and you go, well, let's see, I've written over 30 books. So what if somebody goes, hey, that Fred DeRubo, man, he's he's a radical right-wing conservative something or other, so his book shouldn't be on Amazon. And then Jeff Bezos goes, you know what, you're right. Okay, we're eliminating all of them right now. Who cares? you know, but that's, that's where we're going to we, we are going to a place where the internet is going to be fully controlled, where even in the EU right now or parts of it they're having the digital vaccination certificate and medical health certificate, so you mm-hmm. have to be ready to show that it, you know, it's all coming. and you sit there and you go well, I can do two things, not worry or pff, I can't fight it, I can't fight it. I mean, I can get myself up in knots about it, but what what is that going to be? So that's Revelation 6. And now we're moving on to another part, Revelation chapter 7. Let's just take a few minutes to read some of these verses. I'm going to read a few and then skip a few and then get back to it. So let me read uh, 1 through 4, chapter 7. I'm reading from the New King James. After these things, I'll stop right now. Whenever John says, after these things, and Jesus also uses that phrase, it's a signal that something is happening chronologically. We know that. Hmm. Um, if you've ever given anybody directions, you go, okay, you drive down there about three miles. After you hit three miles, you're going to turn right on this road. You go down about another mile and a half. And after that, we know what that means. It's the same thing. It's chronology. So that's what, that's what John is telling us. After, and he's, he's also giving a heads up. He's saying, get ready, get ready, because there's a turn coming. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Oh, okay, now let's stop for a second. So these first four angels, their job is to do what? Harm the earth and the sea. That's what their job is. Okay. But right now, they're being told, no, wait, you gotta gotta hang out for no you can't do it yet. Not until I give you the signal. Then you can go. But but you're you're prepared. Okay, So this other angel says, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. When? Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Okay, then verses five through eight get very specific here. They tell us how many people 12,000 were sealed from each tribe. Now, okay, let me just stop for a second. First of all, I'm going to tell I'm going to say that I take this stuff literally. And when it says 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, it actually means 144,000 Jews are sealed. This is not the church, and I'll be able to show why that's not the church in just a minute, just in case you're wondering. Uh, We might all be on the same page. But this is 144,000 Jewish individuals whom God seals. Actually, the angel seals. And we don't know what the seal is. We don't know what it says. But we do know if this seal is like other seals, it's a symbol of ownership. God is literally saying... I own this person, this person, this person. Now, in that general sense, we're all owned by God. We are His. He bought us with the price of His blood. We are owned by Him. He is rightly our master. We are rightly His servant. We're also, interestingly enough, the younger brother and sister's of our Lord, our elder brother, Jesus. But there is an actual relationship there that makes us his servant. And the question for us is, again, what Mark was alluding to, are we voluntary servants? Are we doing what we do for God because we want to, because we love him? You ever heard the song by David Phelps? Are you familiar with David Phelps? Nobody? Oh, God. David Phelps. <laughs> you people listening on the video, look up David Phelps on the internet and look for a song called No More Night. This dude is just unbelievably talented. God gave him some... His, his voice is his instrument, but No More Night. No More Night. I, I wish I could play it, but... Uh, Maybe I can find it at the end. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's just I mean he does he he was with the uh, Gaither trio, he, he sings with them, the Gaither, whatever they call what are they Gaither
2: concept? something band, vocal band? Yeah, yeah, you've heard of Bill Gaither. Gaithers. Okay. So yeah. he,
0: he sings with them. He is a very high tenor. He can I don't know if this makes sense to you, but he, he can hit a high D, which is unheard of for a lot of men. Women can do that, but not men. But this guy is is just beautiful. But but the reason I point that out is because No More Night is is such a beautiful Christian spiritual, scriptural song about us and our relationship with God and what we can look forward to one day. And how when we look forward to this it actually eases the frustration and problems we think we're experiencing now, because it all pains. It all pains. I think he's got it. Oh, you got it? Oh, yeah. Well, save that. Would you, Sam? Sure. You. Yeah, that guy is incredible. You. you. too. Yes, it is. Yes. We were. We just spent about 20 minutes watching his music yesterday. <laughs> this absolutely astounding. Anyway, uh, maybe I can find it up here, though, so you can see him. But anyway, all right. So 12,000 from each tribe. The fact that each of the 12 tribes are mentioned to me is further proof that it should be taken. Literally, that there are actually 12,000 people from each tribe. Not like the Jehovah's Witnesses who will tell you, well, this represents in general all people, but that number's already been filled by the Jehovah's Witnesses. So now the rest of us Jehovah's Witnesses who are not part of the 144,000 are waiting to get their foot in the door. That's kind of what they believe. And there are other people who view this as representative of the church. It's not the church, in my opinion, because it's so specific to Israel. Okay, so let's go on to verse 9. After these things, again, after these things, another chronological U-turn, not a U-turn, a left turn or right turn, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, Tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Alright, I'm stop there. Now, that to me is further proof that the previous verses all reference Israel and Jews because this one says, Then I looked again and after I, after I saw Those people, those 144,000, I looked again and then, guess what? I saw, he was able to to number these. He knew what the number was. 12,000 from each tribe. 144,000 total. But this one, he sees an absolute innumerable multitude of people from where? All nations. All tribes. All peoples. Mm -hmm. All tongues. In other words, from every people and culture group throughout the world. And they're innumerable. All of a sudden, after the 144,000, then he's, his line of sight switches and then he sees this. What's the result of that? Well, let's look at this. I'll get back to that in a minute. I have this chart. I got this from Precept um I forget what it's called. Sorry, I should have put the note in here. But anyway, I borrowed this from another one because it gives a nice overview of the book of Revelation up to things which are, things which shall be thereafter. And we're talking about your judgment. So right here, we've got the six seals that we already did. The saints are sealed, so we're right about here. And then we're getting ready to get into the seventh seal, which actually is the prelude to the trumpets the seven trumpet judgments. And then we've got these other things happening, and then we've got seven bowls, and then we've got more things happening, and while all this is going on, we've got this stuff happening too. I mean, trying to break down the book of Revelation is extremely hard, putting it into one chart. And I'm not saying we might all agree on everything that's here, but what's fascinating about it is it's really... Complex, but in its complexity, it's kind of simple. Yeah. And I don't mean to degrade it by saying that, but it, it, there's it's just yeah, there, Well,
2: there's a seven, you know seven churches, seven seals, seven right. trumpets, seven bowls.
0: Right. Right. And uh, the reason, by the way, this seven seals goes to here past the trumpets and the seven bowls is because some commentators believe that there's a continuation of some of these things. So, the point is, it's hard to be seriously dogmatic about some of this stuff. It really is. And there's no point in being dogmatic unless you just want to make yourself feel better. There has to be some of this, I'm really not sure. But this makes logical sense to me. Alright, so that'll be up tomorrow too, and you can also check that out. So, Revelation 7 it's really a parenthesis. Honestly, it's a, it's a parenthesis and interlude. We just left chapter 6 with the sixth seal, and literally, it's all breaking apart on earth, and people are going, Whoa, there he is! Oh, hide me, kill me, follow me, hide me from him. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like going to a symphony, and then everything builds, 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 and then it's quiet, and then there's this little interlude, the action still moves forward but it's a little bit of an interlude or a parenthesis and that's that's really what chapter 7 is so we've got this parenthesis between chapter 6 and between chapter 8 and chapter 7 is basically leading up to the opening of the seventh seal really which happens in chapter 8 so it's really interesting so all this stuff happens leading up to it so this pause in action allows God to do several things. First of all, it allows Him to seal His servants, the 144,000. And what is their job, by the way? Well, their job is to be witnesses to the uh, ends of the earth. And I may have said this before, if I'm repeating myself, forgive me, but Jews who are steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures but do not have that knowledge of Jesus... Just like Paul, when their eyes are open, boom, everything falls into place. Everything. Because then all of a sudden they see the Hebrew Scriptures as pointing to our Lord. They see it much better than the average Gentile because we are not steeped in the Scriptures the way many Orthodox Jews are. So we can expect during the Tribulation that many Orthodox Jews who would reject Christ out of hand every time he was mentioned, all of a sudden, God will open their eyes, their spiritual sight will understand what they're seeing, and they will react. 144,000 of them will react just like Paul on the road to Damascus. And they'll go, Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I get it. That's what they'll be doing. And they'll have that new knowledge and everything will gel and make sense. And because of that, they will literally go on a gospel witnessing rampage throughout the world. And they will witness and have absolutely no concern about any persecution that rises up against them. They will just do their job. And their job will be, at that point, they will be so sold out to God that nothing will deter them. And they will have the Hebrew Scriptures and the understanding that comes with it. Because remember when Jesus walked the earth, He said what? You say you know the Scriptures. If you knew the Scriptures, you would know what? That the Scriptures point to me. That's what he was telling them. And the the religious Pharisees were like, you're crazy. But the Jews of this day will get it. Just imagine 144,000 Pauls Mm. running around. witnessing.
1: just thinking that they were, for whatever reason, to witness to Israel. Because at this point, and I forget, I don't even remember where it is, but it talks about how God hardened the hearts of the Jews so that the word could be brought to the Gentiles. Right. And then, at the end, I guess I, I, it, it seems like that is... It goes back. It, that he's, he's trying to witness to the Israelis at that point. Oh,
0: yeah. He does. Well, he's... You're saying God's trying to witness to the with
1: 144,000, but that, that their role is to,
0: to witness
2: people. to Jews. Is their to... yeah? Is their job to witness to Jews? It will to be Jesus. part of their right.
0: job to go back and witness to other Israelites, other Jews. It okay. will be part of their jobs. But don't forget, right here, we see the results of their efforts in verses nine. And part of the results of their efforts is that there will be multitudes of people from all. All nations, all tribes, all people. But yes, absolutely, they will go back to fellow Jews. You know, Jews are very interesting. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to witness to one or to talk with them. Uh, Probably not here in Georgia, but they can be some of the most stubborn, stubborn, stubborn people in the world. And yet, if you happen to be blessed enough to be around them, when someone is talking to them about Christ and you see the scales start to fall, it's really fascinating. They they embrace it like, I don't know what.
2: And they have an understanding well, that I we can't grasp.
1: Verse 14, that's when he's talking about, it, he's asking, you he may be about to go over this, but when he's, when he's asking the angel.
0: Oh yeah. And, and he's, he says, these are who are those people? Yeah. that are standing in white robes. Yep. The nations, he says, they're the ones that came out of the Great Tribulation
1: stuff. yeah, they are saved out of the Great Tribulation.
0: They are. And a lot of those people, don't forget, who are going to be in the Tribulation, let's say the Tribulation is going to start next week. Let's just argue that. And Sam, humor me here for a minute. Let's argue that the rapture is going to happen before that. We'll just, just argue that. Okay. So, Christians are gone. The church is gone. It's like Mark was saying today. He must have seen my notes. <laughs> <laughs> or I saw his. Because what happens? These people have probably been attending church. They may have a Bible. They may even be convinced they're Christians. But, the tribulation is now on. And they're all of a sudden like... uh. So, it's going to be a lot of those people that get into the tribulation who are going to be facing the reality they thought they had but didn't, and that will change their opinion of what's happening. So, I think when we get to verse 14, you're going to, I mean, these people, yes, the persecution, I can't imagine the level of persecution that's going to be ramped up during the tribulation. I just can't. And people are going to be losing their lives because of it. Some will just die naturally, of course. Because of a lot of the uh, other things that happen, pandemics will still be around. But there is going to be a great deal, a great deal of persecution. And these people will be giving up their lives through that. So let's move on. The four, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. The four angels hold back the winds. Now, what's really fascinating about this winds here, I know I should probably take this literally, and in a sense, it is literal. But let's look at this. Um, the Bible, John says, the four corners of the earth. I was reading this article where this guy, Harry Ironside, was given a talk. And Harry Ironside was pointing to the four corners of the earth. This, this young man gets up in the talk. And he says, see? See? This proves that the earth is flat. Because there are four corners to it. And he was being very serious. Well, the reality is we use the four corners of the earth. What does that mean? All of the earth. Well, all of the earth, but specifically it refers often to the compass directions North, south, south, east, east, and west, the four corners of the earth. You can't go north, south, east, or west. And you're you know, that's what he's talking about here. It's a figure of speech signifying the four main compass directions. So the winds here are being held back by these angels, verse 1 of chapter 7, and they're standing at the four corners of the earth. North, south, West and east. And they're standing there. They have control over these winds. And there's a good indication that the winds here mostly symbolize God's judgment. Now, how do we know that? Well, we can take that from other portions of Scripture. Wind is also used to describe God's breath or the Spirit in these two. These are just two references. Which is often used in judgment, especially in the Old Testament. God... God sends a wind, and he uses, he does so because of judgment. Seven years of the Egyptian famine were brought about by an east wind. That's what started it. Plague of locusts brought upon Egypt. They came on the east wind. If you go through the Old Testament, especially, and you look at all the time God sends judgment, it often comes from the east. When he leaves the temple, or when he left the temple, And they said, Ichabod, God is gone. The spirit of the Lord is gone. When he left the temple, he left it going east. When he returns, he will come from the east. So what we're talking about here, Daniel's vision, it was the four winds of heaven which stirred up the great sea. And we know that that has to do with Gentile nations which brought forth the four beasts. So there's a lot of similar imagery here where these angels, these four angels, they're standing at each compass point and they're literally holding back what? The judgment of God. The winds. That's what they're holding back. So these same four winds, interestingly enough, it happens again in Revelation 13 when we get there. Remember? I saw there was the dragon standing on the seashore in chapter 13. And then the beast stirred up the waters. What stirred up the waters? The wind stirred up the waters, and out of the water rises this really weird beast with seven heads and you know ten crowns, and it's it's the Antichrist, the final representation. So God uses winds. We know he uses nature all the time. Why wouldn't he? It's his creation. He has absolute control over it. The winds speak of the impending global judgments. And their initiation and their sovereign control by God. God is proving. Look, I can use the winds because I control them. Yeah. They represent my judgment or my spirit, depending on how I want to use them. All right. Revelation seven three. They're told, look, don't harm anything. Don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until the seals are applied. And by the way, these seals—they they're probably not um, visible to other people but they're certainly visible to God and to those in the spiritual realm. Now what's fascinating about this I actually love this because we all know that today you talk to the environmentalists and the most important thing is Mother Earth. We have to protect and preserve Mother Earth. So if that means killing people or letting them die that's okay because we need to protect the Earth. Because the Earth is so much more important than people, and they'll also take animals and place them above people. So we know that that's satanic because what it does obviously is take God's created order and reverses it. You know, in California, it really was annoying. They would because of a, a smelt. Oh, oh, we we can't. No, we cannot take water to drink for people from here. No, no, because there's a smelt that lives in there, and if we do something, it can kill the smelt. Better people die than the smelt. Or the owls or another bird, we can't get those trees because those birds live in those trees. Well, let me ask you, what did those birds do when there were forest fires that destroyed those trees hundreds and thousands of years ago? They figured it out. So we're placing this emphasis or de-emphasis, I should say, on humanity and putting uh, animals and the earth itself way above. So this is God's answer to this. He is going to deliberately harm this earth, the seas, and the trees. He will do that. Because mankind worships the creation instead of the creator. So God has something to say about it. And, you know, sometimes you sit there and you go, well, God, why don't you just step out of the heaven and just sing? Because God would rather do it this way. It gives people an opportunity to see the truth, to repent. So, environmentalists, as I said, they normally place higher value on animals and the earth itself over human beings. You know that, so do I. It reverses the created order, and God's tired of it at this point, and so he has something to say about it. So these are most likely, in my opinion, literal references to the earth, the seas, and the trees. And I know this, or at least I feel I know this, because of the judgments that follow. The judgments that follow, say, a quarter of the earth, or a third of the trees, or one third of the sea turns to blood. Those are literal. Those are actual judgments that God pours out. Imagine, imagine one third of the ocean turning to blood, and then... One third of the fresh water turning to blood. Imagine what people are going to be drinking. Not much.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Not much. I mean, it's not going to be a pretty thing. So the 144,000 Israelites are sealed with a specific seal from God and it's on their foreheads, as I said. And, And literally, that's what they did with the slaves during the Roman Empire. Ancient Egyptian Empire. This is what they did. You had that seal tattooed on your slave's forehead. And that was just simply part of the culture. Whether it was right or wrong doesn't really make any difference right now. That's what they did. So God is using a human example to show his own ownership. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And quite frankly, who among us are going to argue, God, I don't want your seal on my forehead. (laughs) Who's going to say that?
2: No, We'll want it.
0: (laughs) Here, 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 put it wherever you want, God. I'm yours. So it's a seal of protection similar to this one in Ezekiel 9.4. And then what's very interesting is Satan has no original thought in his head. Never, ever, never. Can't do it. He's exceedingly intelligent, but he has no original thought. So when the Antichrist comes along, Satan, through the Antichrist, will counterfeit this seal to his followers. Oh, okay, I can do one better. Uh, You can get it on your forehead or your right arm. Your right arm. So, but it's still a counterfeit. A lot happens in Revelation 13. Now, in the eternal state, this is fascinating, Revelation 22:4, 4, God's name will be written on our foreheads. Wow. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about that. That's going to be awesome. It's just, you know, and, and Jesus himself has his name written on his, th- it's just fascinating stuff. So it may not be visible to other people, But God will see it. I'll know it's there. And I sure don't mind being owned by God. 144,000 sealed is literal, and I mentioned that already, so we don't need to go over that again. But these guys become, and gals I'm assuming, become Jewish evangelists. And yes, they go out and they absolutely preach the gospel to their brethren. The rest of the Israelites. But they also preach it to anyone who will listen. Yeah. Anyone. Just like Paul did. Just like Paul did. The idea that this cannot be referred to Israel, I don't need to go over that. I've already explained why. Um, oh, I, I do want to say this. There are some people who believe that this cannot be referred to Israel because the ten tribes have been lost years ago, decades ago, centuries ago. Therefore, how can it be referred to Israel? Well, the only point of argument about <laughs> that is God knows who cares if I don't know who is a Jew who cares yes all the records were destroyed the rest the the last of them were destroyed in AD 70 when Rome destroyed Jerusalem and burned the temple to the ground and stole all the gold they just destroyed everything all the records which proved which uh, tribe you were from and whether or not you could be a priest or a Levite or they were all gone but it's not as if God needs those. Right. So, anyway. That's uh, also, in one. on the
1: 144,000, it says in um, Revelation 14, it says, uh, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women. Right. So I'm going to go with they're all guys.
0: Okay. It's probably a good idea. <laughs> good idea. Let's leave it there. So, um, verses 5 to 8 specifically note the 12 tribes of Israel, as I mentioned. Now... Verse 9, after these things. Another chronological, right? We said that. After these things. John does that so we can get it's a heads up for us to go, okay, what's coming now? It's a chronological occurrence. Now, a lot of the things in Revelation I will tell you, and I think I have mentioned, you can't you can't say, I know for certainty this happens, then this happens, then this happens chronologically. There are great arguments made for the fact. That sometimes these things happen in tandem. Right. But they just, to us, it may seem like one happens. It's just really hard to know. Well, that
2: that chart was really helpful because when you look at the... So did plagues all of a sudden stop because now, you know, death happened? You know, it's no, those things just are going to keep going on. Yeah. So I think that that chart is helpful to see those things continue. Then you're going to have... The the seals are going to continue, and then the bowls are going to continue.
0: Right, it, it, it's it not doesn't gonna, end yeah, because
2: another one starts. Right, it's not going to be like
0: okay, that bowl is done. Boom. Let, I mean, it, it, there, I think there is some continuation. Yeah, here. but we we don't know for sure. So it's a cause and effect, and because of the work of the one hundred forty four thousand Israelites, who now understand beyond clarity. The Hebrew scriptures and how it points to Christ. They're able to be phenomenal evangelists. And of course, God pours out his spirit in a sense and opens eyes of the blind and people see it. You know, it's persecution, right? That brings people either closer to God or pushes them away forever. Persecution does that. When everything's going well, do we really think we need God? I got it, God. I can handle it. We don't need it. We just don't need it. Or we don't think we do. We do need it, but we don't think we do. But when persecution ramps up, when situations in life become extremely difficult and pressing, that's when we're forced on our knees. I mean, Sylvia and I, we we sit there and we go, okay, we see what's coming. Gas prices are not going down. By June 1st, they're going to rise another 30 cents a gallon at least. Hmm. Uh, Food is getting short in supply. Um, Wheat is, you know, I mean, we've got all these things. So what do we do? We have no choice but to trust God or try to do it on our own, right? And doing it on our own, I'm it's absolutely terrifying. amazed. And I was telling Sylvia, I said, you know, I'm absolutely amazed. I don't know how much it'll make a difference, but it's like we have more money now than we've had in a long time, and it, and we have virtually no bills except our house. And God did that. Yeah. It's just absolutely amazing to me. So and we how still can
2: buy food, still buy gas. And, and you know, how he's
0: coming through, and, yeah. and just absolutely amazing to me. But I think that's what—that's where we need to be, I think. So John sees the results of that. I'm repeating myself here. They have met with death and gained the victory. Once, you know, this is what really cracks me up about all these people who get so afraid of COVID. Um, I, I think obviously it should be respected. Uh, any disease or illness should be. But the reality is that if we just hide ourselves away and mask up and do everything we can to make sure that we don't contract something, then we're going to be better off. It's like, you know, I'm 65. Um, I've had a really good life. I know I'm going to die one day. I mean, I'm not wishing for it to make it happen now, but why wouldn't I want to go and spend eternity with God? Why wouldn't I want to do that? Why do I want to spend another? I told Sylvia the other day, I said, you know, because her, her mother is almost, she's 91, right? Yeah. And she's coming out to visit us again, which I think is pretty cool. She's spry. She is funny. She is something. But I told somebody, I said, I don't want to live to be 91. So hopefully, you know, God respects that and has a plan. (laughs) Maybe not. But, I I mean, almost 30 years from now, I can't imagine what this world's going to look like in 30 years, if it lasts that long. So, um, you know, and again, I appreciate what Mark was saying because I think it's our perspective, our priorities. If they're in the right place, then we're living the right way And bringing glory to Him, and growing, and we ultimately are looking to that day where, as David Phelps says, "There's no more night, no more night, no more night." So these believers before the throne come from all nations, all tribes, people. Palm branches are anticipatory of the coming King. Remember, triumphal entry—they fanned those, they put those palm trees. Some of them waved them, some of them put them on the ground. That's exactly what they're doing here. And that's exactly what we'll be doing. There's a lot of imagery here. And the angels in verse 11 are probably different than uh, the living creatures and the elders. The elders are either redeemed men or a different class of angels altogether. We don't really know. All right. All right, real quick. Yes, go ahead.
1: Okay, so these are the people that died during the tribulation. Yes. But we haven't even gotten to the tribulation yet where it talks about how you know, the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, you know, they create the statue and all that and cause people to be killed. So that's the I'm, second half. I, I, I like chronological. That yeah. makes my brain happy. Yeah, me too. But, but we aren't there. You see yeah. what I'm saying? We're not see? even there like yet. We've, yeah. we've got to go back. Right. It's kind of like we're going to do a recap later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here it's showing the end after the tribulation. Right. But we haven't even, I mean, right. it's going to cover it
0: again. No, and what we're dealing with here is the first part of the tribulation. And if you'll notice, Antichrist hasn't even really, he's on the scene, he's created peace between Israel and Arab nations, but he's not in a leadership role yet. Right. And most likely he has not been fully, um, uh, what's the word, possessed by Satan at this point. At the midpoint of the tribulation, it's right after he goes in and um, desecrates the temple. That's when the great tribulation, the second half begins, and that's when he goes on a rampage. And that's when more and more people die. And uh, it's it's fascinating, absolutely. But this is all the result of the first six seals of you know the, the first part of the tribulation. So there's a lot happening here. A lot of people die. A lot of bad things happen. But we haven't gotten to the worst of it yet. All right. So these are new arrivals to heaven. These are not the martyrs from Revelation five either. That different group under the
2: altar. Right.
0: right okay. They're under the altar. These are before the throne. It's a different group. Right. Right. Okay. So Revelation seven fourteen. They're continued. This is the Greek used in this verse. In essence, signifies that the martyrdom is constantly happening. Hmm martyrdom and death. It's constantly bringing new people before the throne. Constantly. So, it, it, I figure what they said is like a present, perfect Progressive. tense where it's constantly happening. That's what's fascinating about the Greek, because we have different tenses that we use, and when someone speaks English, if they use a different tense, we get it. But in translating it from Greek to English, the tense sometimes is lost. Um, the Greek, I already said that, sorry, I got ahead of myself. This starts right now, right after this, the great tribulation, and it's going to get worse. And Jesus points this out in Matthew 24, 21, the element discourse where he says, the tribulation will be great and there will be no other time on earth where it will be matched. That's how bad it will be. So we're not talking about just general tribulations that happen in our lives from time to time. We're talking about the very specific. These who have gone on, they will serve him night and day. And it's very possible that the people who come out of the great tribulation as believers, they may have a slightly different ministry than those of us believers who die before the tribulation starts. If we do. Huh? If we do. If we do die?
2: Yeah, before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just stop eating and drinking. <laughs> and then, what, well, it takes five days? So, <laughs> Matthew
1: does say, you know, hey, both, well, those of us who are still here will right. change in a moment. So that there are going to be, theoretically, some people that are alive that right. are
0: saved.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, God in Christ will dwell among them. He will tabernacle with them. He will literally camp among them, live with them. It's hard to imagine, man. It really is. They will not hunger or thirst. And this, I think, is stated... Because it kind of reminds us of what they may have suffered while they were alive during the tribulation. I mean, these people, whoever it is, it's not going to be easy for anybody. Food is going to be scarce. Drink, water is going to be scarce. If you're not part of the beast system, it's going to be hard. Hard. All right. Uh, I guess I can stop here. Wait.
2: Yeah, then see if you can get the song.
0: Okay. Yeah. Here we are. So, Revelation opens, Revelation 8 opens with the seventh seal and the prelude to the seven trumpets.